Good morning. For those of you who are visiting, my name is Phil Nelson. I'm the lead pastor here. Man, you sounded good in worship. Um, last week, we were, were in a chapter a day. Two weeks ago, uh, our teaching elder, uh, Dennis Morris, taught through Colossians about our hope for a restored heaven and a restored earth when Jesus comes again. Last week, we looked at the book of Ephesians. We went backwards a little bit. And we looked at what it means to live our lives according to God's design. And there were three things, I don't know if you remember it, but the first one was living our lives in the reality of forever. That this life is temporal, it's fading away, it's going to go away, uh, but it's going to be restored. And we're going to have a decision to make before we leave this earth of where we go either with our Savior Jesus, God Almighty, or completely separated him for, from him for eternity. So we live our lives understanding that today's not all that we're living for, but it's that forever with him that is most important. I think realizing, too, that our days are short and we don't know when we're going to go. Right, Brad? Last week, this past week, we almost lost you, buddy. And he had a stroke, and God was so sovereign and with him, and he's here this Sunday. So we're so glad to have you, buddy. I just want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for the miracle of watching over Brad. We thank you so much, Lord, that you're not done with him yet. Lord, that uh, as he even ministered to his nurse at his bedside and she gave her life to you because of his testimony that's what you're doing god that's what you're doing and so we just ask you to continue to recover allow him to recover fully that there would be no damage no um no injury no nothing mentally emotionally physically father that nothing would uh, come against him in the name of jesus we thank you for the lake family and all they mean to us in jesus name amen Live life in the reality of forever. Live life in the hope of Christ and live life imitating Christ. And today we're in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to read about 60% of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you do have your Bibles, if we can bring up the house lights just a little bit, Josh, thank you so much. And uh, if you could uh, grab your Bible, there may be one in the back seat uh, or, or in the back flap in front of you. You may have it on your phone. If you don't have the Elevation Community Church phone app, what are you waiting for? Um, The Bible app is on there as well. If you don't have any of those, it'll be on the screen. So just follow along with me. The title of today's message is brought to you by... No, I'm kidding. The title of today's message is Living Your Life with Purpose on purpose. Living your life with purpose on purpose. I'm going to say it third time, charm, right? Living your life with purpose on purpose. And all these last three weeks of going through a chapter a day is starting to come together, okay? And so let's read this starting with verse three. Verse three. Actually, I'm going to start right before there. Teach and urge these things. 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, this is Paul speaking, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, uh, imagining that godliness is a mean of gain. What he's addressing here are people who are calling themselves Christians, followers of Christ, but they have this external facade. They're twisted And they're twisting the truth. They're trying to bring the old law into the new. And they're trying to get these Gentile Christians who are not Jews to believe the practices and the, uh, let's even say, the Levitical law that they were raised up in. And Paul always addresses this and says, that's not who you are. You are bought with the blood of Christ and by grace you have been saved Not by obeying the law, which no one can do that fully. And so Paul is basically getting in here and saying, those who are teaching a different doctrine from the gospel of Christ are arrogant. And they know nothing. So let us keep that as a reminder to stick to the truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. And I lost my place. But godliness with contentment, not gain, godliness with contentment is of great gain. For we bought nothing in, brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, how many have that? Hopefully all of you have clothing this morning. <laughs> we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man, O woman of God, Flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Live your life with purpose on purpose. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching or listening and you're just you're not a Christian, you're not a believer. That's a great place to start is asking your life, what is my purpose? Because everyone's been created for a purpose. And we who follow Christ believe that our purpose is to be in relationship with the God who created us and the only way we can do that is through his son Jesus. But even followers of Christ, ECC family, let me ask you this. Have you found yourself wondering, what is God's will for my life? 
I remember when I first became a Christian in high school and then in college, man, there was nights where I would just weep before the God before God because I wanted to know the purpose for my life. And the crazy thing is, is we can know God's purpose for our lives. And we can live our lives then with purpose, on purpose. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you want to live the life that you have, the rest of it from here on to when God calls our name in heaven? To know that we lived every moment with purpose, on purpose. If that's you, today's message is for you. I encourage you to take notes, listen to this message online, and let it become saturated within you. I want to pray for you real quick, and then we'll move on. God, you are so good. And I just ask that through your spirit today, you would speak through my words. Penetrate our hearts. Have your way. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the main scripture verse that popped out to me anyways in verse, where is it? Verse 11. But as for you, flee these things, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue godliness, pursue love, pursue steadfastness and gentleness. And we're going to look at these qualities. We're going to define them. And for you, I want you to pick at least one, if not two, for you to take home and just to place before the Lord and ask the Lord to do a work to shape you in one of these qualities. Because I believe as we walk in the qualities that Paul encouraged Timothy, and he encourages us today, I believe we will be able to grow more and more like Christ and reflect the goodness of God and just watch how people's lives are changed by the way, not we talk, not the way we act, but the way we live our lives with purpose on purpose. So the first quality we see is righteousness. Righteousness. Righteousness is a word that so many Christians use and they have no stinking clue what they're saying. So let's break it down before we say, yeah, let's walk by righteousness. Righteousness is all about right standing. Can you say right standing? Right standing. We have to understand 2 Corinthians 5. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be our offering for our sin. How marvelous. How wonderful. So that we could be made right with God. There is no way, friends, there is no way, men and women, that you can ever be right with God. Except through his son, Jesus. How many times do we hear, I'm not good enough. I've been a good person. I've done good things. You know what? There are people who have not missed a single Sunday in 50 years 
and they still don't understand that they have right standing with God because of Jesus. That is the only way you'll be able to stand before the Almighty Father with confidence, knowing your eternal destiny is through the righteousness, the right standing of God through Jesus. So let me ask you this. When God sees you, what does he see? What does he see? If you say anything but perfection and righteousness, you're believing a lie. Because when God sees you and Jesus covers you and the Holy Spirit has sealed your life, you are hidden in Christ forever. And when God sees you in the pit of your despair, even in the midst of your sin, he sees Jesus stretched out on a cross. And he sees blood flowing to cover your sins. That is righteousness. And then we live righteously, meaning we live by the conduct that is right According to God, because of our identity in Jesus, our right standing that no one else will change, no one can grab us out of God's hand when we're in Christ. Because of that, we live out that identity with conduct, thoughts, actions, behavior, identity, belief out of the right standing of God. So... Are you going to choose to live your life with purpose, on purpose, in righteousness? Because in Christ, you have right standing. Now live it out. You have a choice. Make it count. Second of all, we have the quality of faith. What is faith? There's a song out there, gotta have faith. It's not spiritually talking Gotta have faith. We've, we flip this word all the time. I have faith. What does that mean? Well, let's look at the biblical definition in Hebrews 11. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives assurance about things we cannot see. I'm going to read it again. Can you just say the words that are in yellow for me? Here we go. Faith is the confidence that we hope for will actually happen. It gives us About things. Now that is faith. And it continues to say, Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. Jesus said he's the father of the children of God as well. For those who have accepted Christ. So our spiritual father, Abraham, by faith, God called him to take everything. Not just his house, literally everything, his whole clan, hundreds if not thousands and thousands of people, all his livestock, all of his wealth, everything. God said, go. And that was it. Abraham, by faith, left everything he knew to pursue God, even not knowing where he was going. That's faith. What do we do? 
Oh, but God, God, if, what, what if, but what if this door doesn't open? Oh, God, but what if this job doesn't work out? Oh, God, but what if this is not the right person I'm supposed to marry? I know you called me to marry them, but I just, but what? That's the point. We don't know. Stop trying to figure it out. If you understand how your foot is going to be lifted up and you know everything about how that foot's going to land and move forward and where it's going to lead you, that's not faith. That's not faith. You're living your life by human knowledge and common sense and direction. Faith is fully trusting God, walking into the unknown, fully trusting God. Will you live a life of righteousness on purpose? And will you start to walk and take steps of faith, trusting God that he is God and you're not, and that he is in control, and that he's going to take care of it if he holds indeed all the world together? Step out. Trust God. Have faith on purpose. Thirdly, I'm going to skip godliness because I'm going to bring that at the end. Thirdly, we have love. Live righteously on purpose. Live by faith on purpose. And pursue love on purpose. Our culture knows everything about love, don't we? I mean, look at our songs. For those of you over 50, remember, love is a many splendor thing. Right? Or are you 60s fans? You can sing with me. I'm hooked on a feeling. I am believing. Come on, 50s seniors, that you're in love with me. For, for Gen X, remember, I don't care who you are. Where you're from. Come on, Daniel, let's dance. What you, as long as you love me. Oh, I'm getting in the groove now. You're my angel. You're my darling. What, what, right? Okay, okay, okay. All of me loves all of you. All your cur- church. We're having church. No curbs. What's love got to do? We know all there is about love, don't we? My wife's watching live stream right now going, oh, Lord. We know all there is about love, but sadly, sadly, that's not how God defines love. And so it's not surprising when we see Christians today, especially in America, having no stinking clue how to love people. Because our culture is all about loving others when they do it to you. Loving others for your gain and what you can get out of it. That's why when you say your vows at the wedding, it's okay because then if they don't meet your needs 20 years later, you can get out. Love, according to God, is this. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us 
And he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's when we can sing the right song. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, he gave himself away. That's the love that the Father has for us, that he wants us to live on purpose. Romans 12 says it perfectly. Don't just pretend to love others. Say it with me. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring one another. You see, in this culture, friends, Christians need to be very intentional to love on purpose. We have to be intentional. Because if not, we just flow within the culture. And it's not this kind of love. And so may I challenge you to first understand the love that God has for you. Receive that. Hold on to it. Let it change you. And then start changing those around you and the environment and the atmosphere around you by how you love others. Pursue righteousness on purpose. Pursue faith on purpose. Pursue love on purpose. Pursue steadfastness on purpose. That's another word we don't hear often. Steadfast is all about staying completely devoted and focused on the things of God. We don't focus well here. You know the upcoming generation, not the millennials, literally like my son's generation. You know their attention span is six seconds. Six seconds. And that's not ADHD either. That is just common attention span. But steadfastness tells us to focus on the prize. Focus on the finish line. Focus on what matters most. And what that means, friends, is to guard against neglect and drifting away from the thing that matters the most, your Lord and Savior. You have to guard and you have to protect it like a mothered bear protecting her own. Because if it is that which is your purpose, you will do whatever it takes to guard it. How do we do this? You see, being steadfast is all about getting your eyes off of yourself. What does our culture teach us? total opposite. Get our eyes off our worries, off our needs and our wants and our fears and begin to look around. You know, Jesus, when he was resurrected and he was sitting eating fish on the seashore of Galilee and Peter was sitting there, Jesus said something that was quite shocking. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, well, yeah, I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you heard me the first time. And then he's thinking, oh, yeah, I denied him three times. Maybe he needs to ask me three times. And he says, Lord, I love you. He says, take care of my sheep. 
being steadfast. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Being steadfast is focusing on what God cares about most. And that is his people. You want to be steadfast and you want to get your eyes off yourself, your problems. Start serving someone else. Start praying for other people. Start getting involved with where God is working. Start praying, God, show me where you are moving and I will join you. That's why Elevation Community Church exists. Our former pastor, Craig Nisley, Tiffany's brother, he led us down that path to say, where is God moving right now? We were in Mainville. What is God doing? And we looked at the life of our church and we looked at the people who were growing in Christ, coming to Christ. And guess where they were from? Blanchester. And so we said, God, if you're sending us, open up a place. The person along in our, in our team of leaders says, I have a place right in the heart of Blanchester. And by the way, it's empty. Oh, and by the way, we'll pay 50% of your rent for the first 10 months. Steadfastness is all about staying devoted and focused on God. Wow taking care of God's sheep, focusing on the hurting around us, focus on the needs around us, and you will see God take you and your focus off of yourself and on what matters most, and then he gives you the power to carry out his work. How incredible is that? Where can you be steadfast on purpose in your life? What are the needs around you in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church? How might you be able to get over yourself and humble yourself and become a servant to others? That's living a life of steadfastness on purpose. And then we get to gentleness And before you tune me out, men, gentleness is not weakness. Our Lord and Savior, the strongest, most masculine, most powerful man, was known as a gentle, tender servant. Gentleness. What does gentleness mean? It means having great power and choosing to yield it in a compassionate way with others in mind or for the benefit of others. Let's look at Ephesians 4.2. We read it last week. Always be. Thank you. And. Be. With each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love. That's gentle. Gentleness speaks truth. In a way. That comes across. With humility. And a tender spirit. Not trying to justify yourself, not trying to be right, but trying to edify the other person. True followers of Jesus, and I pray this for myself and for all of us here at ECC, especially those who have an ECC bumper sticker. True followers of Christ are known by their gentleness. 
They're known by their gentleness. So I ask you so far, are you willing to start pursuing righteousness on purpose, faith on purpose, love on purpose, steadfastness on purpose, and gentleness on purpose? Because if you're willing to take a step of faith and pursue those things, godliness will be the result. Godliness on purpose. Living a life of godliness is our last quality. And it's a lifestyle that is consistent with the character of God. I like to put it this way. If you're living a life of godliness, guess what? You look, you act like, you talk like God. What? Yeah. Yeah. When you pursue righteousness on purpose, you start to look like God. When you start to pursue faith and love on purpose, you start to look like God. When you pursue steadfastness and gentleness, you start to look like Jesus. That's godliness. First Timothy 4 says this, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while the bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds to the promise for the present life and also the one to come. That's godliness. You have to be on purpose in order to have that purpose of godliness. Now, hear me out. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but this is not talking to the godly external facade. We see that way too much in our culture, and sadly, I lived that in my early days of being a Christian. It's where we have that facade of godly talk. We speak in Christianese. We know all the books of the Bible, and we can quote to you every scripture verse because we have been trained in godly talk. And we can behave godly, especially in church and around other believers. We can look godly, right? Whatever that looks like, depending on what church you go to. And then we have the godly book underneath our arm, right? And all of a sudden we're godly. No, you know what First Timothy or Second Timothy 4 says about that? He says, these people who have an external godly facade have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such people. These kind of people with the godly facade, sometimes they're just not taught, sometimes they're ignorant, sometimes they're arrogant. And they know what they're doing, but yet they choose to do it anyways. These people are soaked in godly information, but they have missed the Christ powerful transformation that comes through experiencing God's love. And so I ask you, have you been living the life that just goes through the motions and you wear a name tag, says I'm a Christian, and yet someone asks you about it and you can't even tell them why you're a Christian? We need to go back to the basics and understand this scripture of pursuing righteousness, faith, love, steadfastness gentleness, and godliness. This is, we're living a life on purpose. With purpose comes in play. You want to know God's purpose? 
says this in Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then it goes on to say that through that, we get to know God's will and God's purposes, his perfect and amazing purpose for our lives. But first we have to leave something behind. So let's look at this scripture. But as for you, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. These qualities will guard you as a Christian. And they will guard you as you display Christ to others. Now, I purposely left something out in that scripture. Can you catch it at all? It's a little tricky, but I left something out that is absolutely key to, number one, understanding this passage that Paul is giving to Timothy. And number two, it shows us the big picture of what we're supposed to be doing. Did you catch it? No? Let's look at it. But as for you, flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue all of these things. But we forget to flee. We forget to flee. You see, you can't pursue one thing with undivided focus and pull that behind you or look in another direction. You have to leave something behind you in order to move forward. Don't believe me, just watch the classic biblical movie of Wayne's World. If you don't know what Wayne's World is, you're too young. Wayne's World, there's a scene where Wayne's ex-girlfriend, yes, I'm using this example, they're playing rollerblade hockey in the street and and Wayne's ex-girlfriend's riding on a bike and she's moving at a good pace and she's moving in a direction. But what what happens? She catches the eye of her ex-boyfriend, and she focuses on him and focuses on him, and she even says, hi, Wayne. <laughs> hi. You said it. And she hits a car, and it's absolutely hilarious when it happens in the movie. But that's what happens when we're trying to pursue these things, and yet we don't flee the things that distract us and cause us to run into things. And sometimes it's running into other believers and unbelievers where we crash into them and it makes a damaging impact on their lives. It's because we've lost focus of those qualities. And this verse is packed right in between the first half and the second half of 1 Timothy 6. And so we need to understand what Paul is saying you need to flee. And what is that? Earlier on in the verses we see flee, excuse me, not pursue, the love of money. Flee the love of money. It's not talking about sexual immorality in this verse. It's not talking about any other sin but greed. Flee the love of money, for it is the root of all evil desires. Now, before, if you count yourself out and say, I've never been controlled by money, let's walk through this a little bit more and define this as we close out. Flee 
the love of money. Jesus says it this way when talking about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either they will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what does this look like? What does it look like to live a life of generosity on purpose? Now, he didn't mention generosity in those qualities, but he is talking about generosity when he says, flee from the love of money. He means this. And I believe that I'm standing up here with all of the elders and the staff backing me on this. If not, they'll talk to me later. God doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. He doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. Everything you have, he's given to you. Money reveals where our heart is. Jesus says, where your treasure is, so will your heart be. So let's go through that list, shall we, Zach? God cares not about our money, your money, his money, right? Your heart is where your treasure lies. And where your treasure lies, that shows where your allegiance is. Where your allegiance is, that points to who or what you worship. Fleeing everything else for that which is God to you. That's why we're doing this series called The Christian Atheist, starting in November. This is for all of you who call yourself followers of Christ, but we're calling the month of November, Bring a Guest to Church. I'm going to challenge you these next few weeks to find one person that maybe is a believer in Christ, but they're just drifting away and they're just not understanding how much God loves for them and his purpose for their lives. Or someone who's just doesn't understand. Maybe they've been hurt by the church, especially those who are identified as Christian atheists. Saying, I believe in God, but we live like he doesn't exist. You see, when we say we believe in God, but yet we allow money to control us and own us and master us, we live as if God doesn't exist because our God is money. Look at our culture. So the question is for you today with money, And what God has given you, which is not yours, it's his. He's invested it and poured it out as a gift to you. Does money, let me, let me, let me rephrase that. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you own money or does money own you? Andy Stanley defines it this way, and I love it. He's the pastor at North Point Church in Atlanta. says this, greed. He defines greed as the assumption that all that you have is for your consumption. It's 
It's our culture, ladies and gentlemen. When you live that way, you are living as if there is no God because you're living as if this life is all there is. That's greed. And so what I want to do for a minute is show you what Paul is even talking about of how living generously and not living being mastered and owned and controlled by money. By the way, I want to speak to you really quick, very personally. I am not making this speech about you giving to Elevation Community Church. And I'm even going to tell you this. I believe that God is sovereign and he will take care of all of our expense needs, even if you don't give. He will do it through someone else. I don't say that harshly. But as the shepherd, the under-shepherd, the lead pastor of this church, I could care less if you give or not. What I care most about is that you live a life that's not mastered by money. That you are only mastered and owned and controlled by Jesus. That's what I care about. And that's why Jesus spoke about money more than heaven and hell combined. Not because he wants you to give. It's because he doesn't want you to be mastered by money. So this is what it looks like to be mastered by money. This is how we handle our money. We live off of what we receive, right? We live and I tell you what, even the person with the lowest income in this community lives so much better than most people outside of this country. I'm just saying, we are blessed. Check your closets. See how many outfits you haven't worn in the last year. How many pairs of shoes you haven't worn. We are blessed, church. And we live off of what we receive. And then from what we don't live off of, we save. You see, when we live off what we have, it's called greed. Selfish. When we save, it's called hoarding. (laughs) I'm serious. Because why are we saving? To live off that tomorrow. I'm not saying it's bad. But what is our motive? So it's me first, me second, and everyone else third, even God's work being done through the church. This, don't feel condemned. Don't feel like you're being judged because this is what the world teaches us. And now we need to understand our design if we want to live with purpose on purpose that God has called us to live. Amen? So what we do if we really want to live as Jesus Christ, as our Lord of our life, being controlled by him. Remember, you cannot serve two masters. Only one. You can't dip in one and dip in the other. So if Jesus is your Lord, he says, I want you to trust me and see the things that I see and live your life in order of how I've designed it. And how has he designed it? Jesus, like so many times, he flips the tables and he reverses things where he says, give first. Give of your time, your talents, and your resources. Tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament. 
generosity is. And Jesus says, give all you have. All. We went from 10% to all. Give. Give. Don't hold on to it. Let go. How many times do Christians go out to eat and leave such a poor tip and write on the receipt, God bless you? Come on! Show generosity because God has given you much. Second, save. But save for the intent to live generously. Don't save with the intent to gorge at the end of your life. And then we live off the life. We live off the rest. Why? It's because God says, I will provide for you. Every need I have, he will supply. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you call yourself a Christian or does Jesus have your allegiance and your heart? And as the band comes up, I just want to close with this. This is Jesus talking. So don't worry about these things, saying what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. These things dominate your thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all you need. Would you say this with me? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you If life equals stuff, then you will always be discontent. But if life, on the other hand, which it does, equals time and opportunities, you won't waste another moment. Would you bow your heads with me? God is calling us through this passage to live a life with purpose, on purpose, by fleeing the love of this world and the things that it can offer. And pursuing the things that only God can make possible through his son, Jesus. We pursue righteousness because we have right standing in Christ. And we live by the conduct and the values of God. We pursue faith on purpose. For we're going to live and walk in faith, not knowing what our tomorrow holds or how things are going to turn up. But we trust that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We live a life of purpose, on purpose, by faith, by love. We love others as Christ loves us. We live on purpose with steadfastness, keeping our hearts focused on him. Keeping our eyes focused on what matters most to him. 
which is people. Gentleness, compassionate, humble, and lastly is godliness. Where is your heart, friends? Some of you are just running with all your might trying to pursue God's plan for you. But you just can't stop looking back. Something's pulling you back. Something's distracting you. Can today be the day where you let go and pursue God with all you have? Stop playing the Christian card, wearing the Christian name tag. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. Let him take over. You can't do it anymore. You can't live this life pleasing God and pleasing yourself. It doesn't work. God, just move. In this last couple minutes of worship, just move. I pray that you would find people who are committed and passionate in following you in Jesus' name.